Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to episode 43 of the Becoming Human podcast. I'm your host, Will Nelson. This episode showcases Tanner Skinner. He's a hypnotist from the Pacific Northwest. We talk on (coughs) mixed martial arts, yoga, uh, his first hip-hop album, and more. Tanner's story begins with his first teacher who inspired him to explore his mind and his body through hypnotism and physical disciplines. See, I was looking to sit with, down with a hypnotist because I, I always imagined that it was like to puppeteer the mind. Like a performer who's on stage pulling an audience member up and making him do some uh, silly chicken dance or put his thumb up his butt. And the way that Tanner explained hypnotism to me made it seem a lot less woo-woo. Tanner said that hypnotism is to bypass the conscious mind and to speak to the subconscious. In effect, rewriting your neurology to establish new patterns of behavior. Essentially, your subconscious mind drives your meat vehicle and the hypnotist kicks your conscious mind to the back seat while the hypnotist rides shotgun. He then whispers directions in your subconscious's mind. But if you don't believe in those his directional ability, you'll just drive your way and disregard his suggestions. Anyways, Tanner is a, a very thoughtful and just genuine kind guy. And it was a pleasure to be able to sit down with him and understand his experience with hypnotism and martial arts. And I've been finding more and more people who who um, have participated in martial arts like myself, and it, it's it's really exciting to have that kind of uh, community. I suppose it, it almost makes friendships really quickly. <laughs> uh, if you'd like, you could check out um, Tanner's music on Spotify as Tanner Skinner. And if you would like to support the show, please rate, review on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. You can even take it a step further and head over to your nearest truck stop bathroom and scribble something about becoming human on the walls. Trust me, another sleep-deprived driver might thank you for it. <laughs> Anyways, I hope you guys enjoy the rest of of your new year. It's certainly turning out to be a fine one for myself. When was the last time that you did something for the first time? Last time I did something for the first time. That's a good question. I'd say um, about a couple years ago when I started getting into music. Ooh. That was my first album I made, um, spiritual hip hop, very conscious, don't cuss, and just, uh, you know, putting my personality uh, into song format. Is that something that you've always wanted to do? That's very interesting. Well, not necessarily something that I always wanted to do, because I didn't know that I had the ability to do that, Mm -hmm. but I had uh, published two books. And I wrote uh, poetry and some short stories. Um, Creature in a Man Suit was my first book. And then Revenant Avenger was my second. 
and I had a buddy who had a studio and we were just hanging around and he was like, Hey, you know, you just, you want to try something? And so I just kind of jotted something down and just spit it out. And, um, it was in that moment I realized like, Hey, you've got a little bit of raw talent here and you kind of inspired me to make an album. And so we did that together. And since then it's like, Hey, you know, now I'm working on my second album and I've kind of come to identify and fall in love with being an artist and musician. Wow. It's surprisingly unexpected. And yeah, exactly. I just, I never knew that that was in me. And have, so is rhythm something that has come naturally to you or was easy for you to learn? It's something that is natural, but I've started to learn and discover that there's a formula and a way that it works. I was just doing it how I naturally felt it, which is why I feel my second album is going to be so much better and stronger than my first, because I'm actually comprehending and understanding how rhythm works, um, you know, in a, in a broken down kind of way, not just intuitively feeling it. In that process, how does it feel to um, be able to, I guess, be more knowledgeable? and discover things in that field. So it's, it's very interesting because you don't really know how much it is that you don't know. Mm -hmm. And then you start learning about rhyme scheme and structure and perfect, imperfect and near perfect rhymes. And the way, you know, a sentence will line up, you know, within each bar and just, how the song will progress and the way that it flows. And like I said, I was doing it all, you know, just from intuition and, and naturally feeling it. And then I started learning more about, you know, the science behind it and why there's rappers like Eminem who just kill it on the mic. And it's because they understand the science behind it. Mm, being able to consciously implement a technique. or technique. Yes. Yes, exactly. I, I've, um, when you talk about that, it reminds me of my experience in, in a lot of um, disciplines, whether it's like writing or jujitsu. And it just, uh, I guess for lack of a better word, it fills me with glee because that's having that rabbit hole um, followed by curiosity. It's fun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, you mentioned jujitsu. Yeah. Is that something that you have experience with? Um, yeah, I've been doing, um, hold on. Okay. All right. That's fine, dude. Um, I've been practicing jujitsu for six months and pancreation two years. Right on. I, um, probably the first thing that ever truly moved my soul was martial arts and I have a little over 15 years of experience in different forms of martial arts. I used to be a professional cage fighter. Um, my main styles when I was cage fighting was Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. had my purple belt in that. And then uh, traditional American boxing, a little bit of um, Chinese dirty boxing. Ooh. And then uh, also a little bit of Aikido, though... I didn't really use that so much. And then Muay Thai. Uh, I love Muay Thai. It's uh, such a beautiful art and um, it's a meditation in many ways, actually. Oh, really? And then, 
Oh yes. Um, if you, if you ever go to Thailand and you get the full experience of seeing, you know, a, uh, a ring or, uh, I should more so say like, you know, a training school where they do traditional Muay Thai, there's actually meditation that takes place first. And then they kind of go over certain Buddhist philosophies and concepts of Dhamma. And then they go into the actual practice art of it. So it's a very spiritual art, at least its roots are. Mm-hmm. Wow. And then um, recently, I started uh, training with uh, Si Gong, who's teaching me Gung Fu, which is the predecessor of where all Kung Fu comes from. And I've been learning a lot of um, different styles of Qigong from, you know, Shingong, Wuji, um, Nehong. And it's very interesting because it's about energy cultivation and um, strengthening the body. And just ultimately very similar to the way Tai Chi kind of helps people. But there's a deadly element to it. And it's just incredible. Like a, a deadly element is in how? That's interesting. So the way that there's a deadly element, if you're looking at it from the um, top layer of essentially yoga and meditation in a martial arts format, you have these deep breathing exercises and these sweeping motions and certain ways that you're drawing energy into your body and circulating blood flow and stimulating the organs and et cetera, that's done slowly. But if you speed it up and you do it fast, like if you're throwing a punch, then you see the hidden layer underneath it, which is deadly self-defense. And it's so incredible because it's hidden. Whoa. That is cool. So it's like, um, it's almost where you would express like non-effort exactly exactly that's something through martial arts that i've been um i've been fascinated with and it was there the portion of conditioning the body you know sure your body gets stronger you know cardio increases your heart gets stronger and your vo2 maxes go up but also the um the ability to um understand the nuances of energy output and being able to control um like whether you can bring your opponent to the ground with the least amount of energy with the uh, least amount of effort and i didn't realize that there was such subtle nuances to movement and oh yeah it's it's almost like when you uh if you're a painter and you have access to every color imaginable as opposed to black and white like it's so much more joyous t- to move, and I mean, yeah, t- to move, and to even to um to like play with other people. And I always thought like martial arts. I was naive to think that you know uh, martial arts, cage fighting, um, it would be a brutal thing. But I didn't realize it. Well, it is brutal, but I mean like a uh, very aggressive and violent. Right, right. I realized how naive I was, and it's like um an exploration of the mind. In, where you put yourself in all of these extremes and I've found that there's so much subtle nuances that I had no idea were there. Well, and one of the beautiful things that I've discovered about Kung Fu was when I first started learning it, 
you know, it just, it seems so vicious to me. Like if, you know, you're uh, familiar with like Krav Maga. Yes. And a lot of the beginning sets that you learn are neck breaks, um, spine breaks, and things that are, you know, what we would call like an instant kill move. And so I asked my Gong, you know, I said, you know, this is, this is good to know to be able to protect yourself in a situation, but I'm also aware of muscle memory and, you know, instinctive reflex. And I don't want to just immediately snap someone's neck, you know, if they pat me on the shoulder or, you know, if I get in like a fight at the bar or something, I, you know, I want to be able to de-escalate. And if it goes to that level, know that that's, you know, the gun in my pocket, in my back pocket. And so he explained it to me in, in such a beautiful way. He said that the reason why we train you in the beginning in the most brutal and aggressive form of this art is so that that is in the core and you have an appreciation and a respect and the knowledge of discipline to knowing when that's appropriate and when it's not. And then as you learn it more progressively, it starts going softer and softer to just, you know, breaking arms or locks, pushes, things of that nature, um, you know, subduing somebody. And he was saying that whenever you get to that point, you understand the concept. He broke it down into three. He says it's push, break, and bury. So if someone comes at you initially, it's a push. It's, hey, leave me alone. I don't want anything to do with, you know, fighting of any kind. You know, just respect my boundaries. You know, I, I'll remove myself from the situation. If you want to call me names or, you know, spit on me or anything like that, I'll, I'm, I'm going to walk away, but please leave me alone. And then if that's not respected, the next boundary line is break. And that is to immediately break a non-lethal bone or part of that person's structure that shows them, hey, I mean business. I've put some pain on you to probably incapacitate you at this point from further aggression. But if you're going to keep coming at me, you saw what I just was able to do. So please don't for your safety and for mine. And if they cross that threshold, it's buried and it's instant kill. Wow, then that that makes like putting it that way, you begin to I guess put a situation in your hand. And it's interesting because my son he he's confronted with those situations quite a lot because he have kids where like they try to uh, hit him or bite him in school. And mm-hmm. That the way of looking at it like that, it, it, yeah, it just makes things a lot more clear too. And I didn't realize like. Um, when you're in, you know, those kinds of situations, if you're able to actually stop it from escalating to something further, I think it's important to be able to do that as a person. Exactly. And, and you know, and it goes back to that meditative aspect of, you know, detaching from the ego and, you know, honoring your higher self and, and you know, not even just that, but the lineage that taught you mm-hmm. and having that respect and discipline because it's like, okay, you know, this person may show aggression to me and I'm willing to swallow my pride. Even if they spit in my face, even if they call me very derogatory or degrading terms and names, I'm going to let that go because 
my life energies and my physical well-being is not in jeopardy, only my ego. Mm -hmm. And it's when it crosses that point to where you're back into the corner, that is when the switch flips. But even then, you're still looking to do the minimal amount of damage to remove yourself from the situation. And only if that is impossible, then do you take the light. So it gives you a deep, deep founded respect and discipline of the art. And discipline for the person as well, because you can exactly us versus them mentality, and that eventually leads to competitiveness. And then you are just as bad as them in that sense, because then you get slaughter or, you know, uh, exile. But you're giving people the opportunity. Right. And, and, you know, chances are, you know, if somebody's kind of flexing their ego at yours and, and you remove yourself from the situation mm-hmm. from the surface, it's like you put your tail between your legs and that person, you know, they essentially won in their mind because, you know, they kind of put you down, mm-hmm. but really you both win because you didn't have to apply or do any serious damage and use, you know, that martial art on them. and they don't even realize, you know, essentially like, I don't like using the word, like, you know, the mercy that they were shown, Mm -hmm. but they don't realize, you know, what their own actions could have caused, you know, to you and to them. Yeah. And, and that's, uh, what do you call it? And I think you see that with intervention often where it, as long as someone isn't actually hurting anyone, they can be as asinine or stupid as they please. Right. Yeah, and I think establishing that clear line too, because I've just I'm just thinking about like a lot of times where I've been at a party or at a bar and shit's escalated to the point where it never needed to be, just because you know someone made a poor choice that evening. Not that that's an excusable choice, but it's a very human thing. Exactly, and so you know, with with the type of mentality that I'm describing, it's like you look at that and you understand that but you take the higher, more evolved perspective looking at the whole. Yes, the more, more. I wouldn't, maybe this is um, not the right word, but disciplined approach. Oh, definitely. Uh, Discipline is is a very appropriate word, in my opinion, for that. I often remind my son, which martial arts has been a big teacher, and yoga too, because like yoga, um, the constantly facing resistance of this is uncomfortable, um, I just want to stop, but I'm having to understand that that's a feeling and I can choose to cling to that or not. Cause if I obviously mm-hmm. to that, then I'm going to give up and I, have, uh, and I want to try again, get better. But I tell my son often that you aren't your thoughts. You're the chooser of your thoughts, but yeah, med- or martial arts and meditation and s- stuff like that has been really helpful in that. I've been fascinated with the mind since. Um, so what, what got you into, um, hypnotism? (laughs) That is a question I get asked so much and it's hilarious Mm -hmm. because when I was younger, you know, I, um, I had a very rough childhood. Um, there was sexual abuse, there was physical abuse, um, parents weren't there. Mm -hmm. in and out of jail, you know, abandoned father, you know, the whole nine yards, like, you know, straight sob story. And as I got older, you know, I, I definitely walked around with a chip on my shoulder and I met my first teacher 
and I've had quite a few teachers. But this first teacher I met, he did and taught yoga. He was also a uh, paranormal investigator. He was a martial arts master. I mean, you name it, this dude had done it. And it was so inspiring to me. Everything that he had been through and everything that he had done, and yet he seemed so well put together. So eventually, you know, in learning from him, the topic comes up one day, you know, like, are you ready to deal with the baggage of your past? And I just kind of told him, I'm like, dude, you don't know my dark side. You know, you don't understand. And he explained to me that one of the many things that he has been trained in and uses as a skill set in helping people is hypnotism. And I was very skeptical. I was one of those people that was like, no, you can't hypnotize me. I can't be hypnotized. Mm -hmm. And he explained to me that the only way that someone can be hypnotized, even if they're skeptical, is they have to be open-minded to the experience. So he couldn't force me into a state of hypnosis, but I had to be willing to accept it. So I went through a few deep regressive um, sessions where we approached things in my childhood and we integrated, you know, those fractured parts of, you know, the identity and ego and, you know, these past memories of being a child and being in certain situations. And the craziest part about it was after the session, I actually noticeably felt better mentally as well as physically. So at that point, I said, there's something to this. This isn't just, you know, hoo-hoo, you know, woo-joo kind of, you know, like crazy, just, you know, whatever. Like, and, and, I, and I asked him, I said, you know, I'd like to learn this art. I'd like to learn this skill. And so I spent about, I'd say, a year and a half um, going from level one to level two certification uh, learning clinical hypnotherapy, specializing in traumatic memory resolution, working with people that have PTSD, um, chronic mental disorders like anxiety and depression and, you know, OCD and things of that nature. And then in my level two, I was taught forensic hypnotherapy and medical hypnosis and a bunch of different um, techniques that kind of added on to some of the things I learned in my level one. And as I got certified as a hypnotherapist, I started practicing and using it on family, friends, all kinds of different people, started my own practice. And I've just come to accept that I'm not saying that medication of any kind doesn't have its place, uh, especially with, you know, mental disorders. There are situations where those things are valid, and I will admit that. But what I am saying is a lot of the medications that people are given, they're loosely diagnosed. And even if they're properly diagnosed, it's only symptomatic as far as what the medication will help the people with. It never actually addresses the root cause. And in my training, I got a full breakdown of what trauma is. And this is what I found to be the most incredible thing. So when we experience a situation that is so traumatic, 
we go into, most people know about fight or flight, but there's actually a third component to it. It's fight, flight, or freeze. And any time a situation like that happens, if it's so intense and so severe, the process of that will be interrupted. And when it's interrupted, the neurology will encode what's called a trauma container. And this is what we call the ISE. And what the ISE is, is the initial sensitizing event. And so when this trauma container is created, think of a map and you have all these dots on this map and then you connect the dots and you have like a circle of these dots that are connected. But in the middle of that circle, you have a bunch of other little dots. Those dots inside of that circle cannot go outside of that circle and they can't interact with the other neurons and those synaptic nerves won't fire. And the way the body tells us, Hey, it's time to release is by bringing certain things up, whether it be, you know, with PTSD, reliving that memory or having, you know, those kind of flashbacks, certain things remind you of that situation, um, depression, anxiety, all these different things. It's the subconscious mind telling the conscious mind physically, Hey, it's time to release. It's time to let go of this. Hmm. And the incredible part about it is we just don't know how to actually communicate with our subconscious mind because it only speaks through vibration, color, and frequency. And that's the main tools as a hypnotherapist that you're using. So when you have someone in trance, you're connecting to the subconscious mind and bringing it forward. So it's not me hijacking someone's mind, but it's me riding shotgun, you know, sitting in the passenger seat, while their subconscious mind is driving the vehicle. And I just help them navigate and connect with the conscious mind as far as rewriting the neurology, taking those old patterns away and rewriting with new patterns that they'd want in place. So if someone had um, you know, self-confidence issues, taking them back to the memory where that was imprinted, where they first picked that up. And an example would be you know, one of the techniques we use a lot of like color breathing and body mapping. And so it would be, you know, you, you feel a spot on your body where you identify tension, tightness, or stress. And let's say they point to their shoulder. And then you'd say, well, does that spot have a color? And they say, you know, well, it's kind of blue. And then you want to create a big metaphor because it just gets them more engaged. So you go for like shape, texture, weight, temperature, et cetera. And so then you ask them, how old were you the first time you picked up that blue circle in your shoulder? They don't necessarily consciously know where this is going, but the subconscious knows. It understands the metaphor. And it will say through the person, well, I was six years old. And it may be something that doesn't even make sense to them consciously. You know, I was six years old, and just an example from, you know, a session with a client. And, you know, this female says, you know, I'm, I'm on stage, you know, like a play. Um, and my dad is there, but he left to go to the bathroom. So the father never left completely. And it's not that he didn't show up. And it doesn't make sense consciously. But it's the moment that he left to go to the bathroom, the subconscious mind perceived abandonment. And that implanted a self-conscious pattern inside the neurology. And it's just incredible how these things work. 
it's I find it fascinating because I see that with my son where you um see like a a moment in their life that they didn't overcome, like whether it's like you're saying abandonment or um like a parent freaks out in response to their tantrums and throughout their entire life it's like influencing their every action and it also um reminds me of the I read a book by Eric Vance. It's called Suggestible You, and it's about the placebo effect. Not saying that hip or hypnotherapy is a placebo effect, but it was a um, an interesting relation because they do with Parkinson's patients. I believe it's incurable. Um, they do a sham operation, and they will take them into a hospital. No one knows about none of their family that knows that it's a sham operation. They all think it's real. And um, the surgeon will dress up. They'll do it for the amount of time, put them under even, and they'll come out. And the um, the success rate of it, I think, is at like 50%. It, just the, the mind, um, the subconscious mind susceptibility to suggestion and yes. how it influences our physical body is incredible i never thought of hip like i've never been hypnotized before or be hypnotized, but i never thought of it as communicating with the subconscious mind but thinking about the things that i've read about the placebo effect and just us being merely suggestible when you're in a relaxed state that that makes a lot of sense to me and what was the feeling that you had when you were hypnotized by the teacher? Like, do you so, remember? that's a really, really good question because many people just don't know what hypnotism is mm-hmm. or what it feels like. And for me, you know, I was I was kind of, you know, preloaded by, you know, Hollywood and, and things like that to believe that, you know, oh, I'm going into hypnosis. Like, you know, like I'm going to disappear into this black hole and, you know, this crazy puppet master is going to have control over my mind and, you know, it was nothing like that at all. What actually happened was I found myself still aware of what was going on around me. I was incredibly relaxed in my body. I didn't want to open my eyes. And I was in a state of hyper-suggestibility. And these were suggestions that I was willing to go with. You know, if if you're telling somebody... For example, you know, to to quack like a chicken or, or, you know, quack like a duck or act like a chicken. Most times, you know, they're just going to be like, get out of here. And, you know, they'll open their eyes and be like, we're done here. And the only reason why that actually works with the Vegas um, entertainers and performers is, um, you know, you've kind of talked about like, you know, the suggestibility, you know, with the placebo effect. And um, it's really interesting because there's almost like this... um, crowd appeal where we're here for a show. We want to put on a show. Um, I don't want to be that one guy that ruins this show. So they end up going along with it. So they accept that suggestion. So that's a bit different. If I could add one thing too, there's even with comedy shows, if you laugh once, you think the whole thing was funny. Exactly. Exactly. And, uh, it, it's funny too, because, you know, I was getting these things told to me that I obviously would have said to myself if I could only believe it, such as you are able to self-parent yourself. 
you're able to give yourself the love that you never received from your parents. I mean, that's kind of a no-brainer, but to actually believe that and accept that is an entirely different thing. So in that state of hypnosis, with my subconscious mind present, it was just soaking that suggestion in, and it was something I wanted deep down, so I just absorbed it. And then when I came out of that session, I actually believed it, and I felt it. And I no longer had this jaded feeling about my parents not being there for me. And it was like, oh, that love you never got, we can just give it to ourselves. And we can give that love to the people around us as well. So it just entirely from my core all the way up to the surface changed my perspective of thinking and the way that I live my life. And it was nothing like I thought it would be. It was amazing. I really want to try it. That sounds freaking fascinating, man. And you know, I I would love to to do a um, a complimentary session for you and an offer by extension to your son as well, if y'all are up to that. Yeah, absolutely, man. I'm always down for trying things new, especially when it comes to exploring the mind. Oh yeah, and. You know, it's it's an incredible thing because the way that our minds work today is still very prehistoric when we were nomadic tribesmen. And it's funny because we have society structured the way it is today and we have all this technology that we don't even realize that we're still working with prehistoric hardware. mentally as well as physically. And the fascinating part about this is that the prehistoric caveman had a natural way of doing what we use hypnosis to do now. And that was, I'll paint a scene for you. So you have a couple of cavemen sitting around a fire. It's late at night, and all of a sudden, a saber-toothed tiger jumps out of the darkness and instantly they all freeze that experience that I talked about, about uh, fight, flight or freeze the way it is intercepted in the neurology is your brain will actually process all the way up to the point of death and experience that within a fraction of a moment and then it'll release. And what would typically happen, you know, with that scenario with the cavemen is they would, they would experience that, that panic, that fight, fight or freeze mechanism would start. And then it would pause just so that they could address and preserve the physical body. So then one of the young cavemen would pick up a, you know, a, a piece of burning log and wave it at the, at the saber tooth tiger and it, and it would run away. And then as soon as that scene was over, they release. They would release and let go. And then they weren't creating that trauma container and carrying it around. And what happens now with society is you have these situations with work and and relationships and just all these different things that we, we shove down. And we just keep moving on. 
And so we're constantly creating those trauma containers that we're never releasing. And then we wonder why we're lethargic. We wonder why we're depressed. We wonder why we're experiencing things differently than before those situations occurred. And it's because we never release. It's, I think it's a very important thing to to be able to um, talk about your trauma in a casual way. And I mean it like, you know, having a conversation with friends, for instance, and uh, it doesn't even have to be uh, melancholy or um, morose, but <clears throat> it... We were talking about that guy um, before with martial arts of someone who's, you know, being aggressive. Maybe they're drunk, right? And mm-hmm. it's that person is you. Like, even if you haven't done that, you're very much capable of that. Like, no one's so unique that their um, behavior is averse. Maybe unless they're like psycho, you know, psychopath. Um, right. Even then, like, in, in some manner. And. <laughs> So what I was trying to say, I suppose, is there's you're right. I've in my conversations with people on the podcast and personally, a lot of things that we repress and um, fear of being alienated from our communities or um, or you know other social constructs. But in the end, there isn't a person who doesn't experience something similar to that. Whether it's um, you know being having an aggressive um, stint within their life or being raped for instance like just like you said with um you know how you had the sexual abuse when you're growing up i had sexual abuse too and i um there's a lot to learn from talking about that with people and once oh again, yes not then it doesn't have to be morose it's just it is what it is like you don't you take out the personal affront there's a lot of emotions connected to it and they're valid but just and then that's it. what we call the ab reaction so when that when that release happens, mm-hmm. um, think of um, a pressure cooker, <clears throat> and you vent the steam. Mm. So you you allow it all out without it exploding. Mm-hmm. And for me, you know, with with the sexual abuse. So when I got the hypnosis, it's not that the memory went away. I still remember it very very fully detailed. But what's different is the emotional charge behind that memory is gone. So it's like how you were talking about being able to casually discuss certain things. And, it, you know, it's not, uh, you know, melancholy or anything like that, but being able to talk about it, like, it's just matter of fact, you know, like, oh yeah, you know, this happened in my life. It was very terrible and it was a horrible ordeal, but, you know, I'm okay. Like, and as I speak about it, you know, I'm not just emotionally just constricted or, you know, feeling and reliving it in a painful way. I can talk about it and there's just nothing there. And it's not that I'm numb, but the intensity and the peak of those emotions when that event occurred are no longer stagnant and still inside of my body. Not you're not clutching onto it <clears throat> exactly. Um, I would be curious your opinion on this. I guess I should speak to her. I want to get a neuroscientist on too, but like you know, your um, the taboos of your culture. I, I'm curious, I don't, I wonder if like how much of your frontal cortex is responsible for uh, keeping your subconscious mind in check 
according to your social um, taboos or your cultural norms. And like, it's interesting when you talk about making the frontal cortex go in the back seat and talk to, uh, or, you know, get access to the subconscious mind, um, where you circumnavigate that person that's uh, playing goalie, keeping that, you know, filtering out the appropriate and inappropriate thought. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, so, so the way that, just so I understand. So the way that we're able to put that part of the brain kind of on pause while we focus more so on, um, you know, like the storage and, and everything else with the brain, how, how does that kind of work? Is that what you were asking? Um, yes. And, um, with the, in, would the, would you assume that the frontal cortex um, or your, or I mean, your conscious mind rather, is mm-hmm. responsible for filtering your thoughts, like the um, your expression of the thoughts, even based on what is allowed within your society. So, does that make sense? Like, it's a thought. So I'll I'll uh yeah, I'll tackle this in two parts. So the last part about you know uh, the taboos and 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 the way that you know we kind of like compartmentalize and and what kind of gets filtered and doesn't based on, you know, the society that we live in culture, it's very simple. So you got to look at, you know, as far back as when you're a child and the way that you're raised. So up until a child is the age of five years old, they are not conscious minded. They are purely subconscious mind. And the subconscious mind loves to absorb and it loves to create patterns out of what it's most familiar with and you know, just kind of what uh, tends to flow naturally, it's created, whether it's negative or positive. So what ends up happening is you have these patterns created. This is okay. That isn't okay. How we essentially learn, you know, right from wrong, things like that. They're literally subconscious patterns that are created. If you were to take somebody at a very young age, and this kind of goes with, you know, the whole nature versus nurture thing, and you were to teach them that, killing people is good and that loving people is bad, that can literally become a program and pattern of the mind that will bleed through into the conscious that they will associate with all of their interactions and everything that they do. So, you know, even with the whole being raised in the South and the yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, opening doors, things of that nature, that is a program. That is a subconscious pattern that is locked in and set. And they can be rewritten, they can be deleted, and new ones can be installed. But that's where, you know, the subconscious mind and communication through hypnosis comes into play with being able to make that happen. Because consciously, it's a very hard thing to do because you can't speak English language or any language spoken to the subconscious mind to give it those cues. You can do self-hypnosis on yourself, but you have to understand how to communicate in color, vibration, and frequency to get what it is that you're trying to get the subconscious mind to do. So the second part, which goes into, you know, how is this, you know, possible to kind of put the neofrontal cortex on pause and, you know, kind of quiet the the conscious mind, you know, to, to interact with all these other parts of the mind, especially the subconscious. So when you go from your day to day actions, When you wake up and when you go to sleep, 
you are always going to experience in every day states of hypnosis at least twice. And why I mentioned before you go to sleep and when you wake up is that moment right when you're waking up and that moment right before you fall asleep is called the hypnagogic state. So that's very similar. Um, it's just one layer above where you're at when you're in a state of hypnosis just to give you um, some something to relate to as far as like what does that feel like. Mm-hmm. Now, when we're doing certain things like taking a test um, or reading and just very, you know, analytical, hyper-focused. That's what's called alpha state. When you are drinking a little bit of beer, not drunk, but just drinking a little bit of beer or smoking a little bit of marijuana, not super high, but, you know, just, just a little bit, right? And when you're watching a movie, that's what we call beta state. It's a more relaxed state of mind. And and there's different variations, alpha, beta, theta, alpha, beta, beta, you know, beta, gamma, like, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But I'm just going to hit on, like, a, a couple just to give a generalized understanding. And so when you go to a state of hypnosis, we go all the way to delta state. We're essentially looking at the conscious mind like you're far away. So you're not completely attached and with it. And you're very distant from it. And you're just pure subconscious. Something to give you some perspective is right below delta state is sub-delta. Sub-delta is the same brainwave activity and um, experientiality. I'm not sure what the word would be there. But the same experience, essentially, that somebody would have if they were in a coma. Wow. So sub-delta is also referred to as coma state. So we're literally hovering above the line of what somebody in a coma would be experiencing. So when you're doing, you know, this hypnosis, you're actually going to be seeing visual holographic constructs. And one of the things that I constantly do when I'm doing traumatic memory resolution on somebody is I actually have to remind them when we go into a traumatic memory to view it from a movie screen and go third person. Because if I don't do that, one of the simplest things that you just don't even think about could be you put them inside of a trauma loop to where consciously it's like they're literally in that moment again, re-experiencing it as if it happened for the first time. And that's something terrible you never want to do to somebody, not even your worst enemy. So if I'm helping these people I'm going to make sure that they're not in first person because it is so real and can be so vivid. So you'll take somebody and have them view it from a third person perspective. So it's very interesting because they'll actually see themselves as a child, like they're watching that memory on a movie screen. An out of body experience. Yes, very much so. Whoa. You, you, and one, one of the other crazy things that, that I've seen quite a bit um, when I'm doing hypnosis sessions is when you're interacting with the child consciousness of that traumatic memory. So for example, you know, um, had a client whose father had passed when he was nine years old and we got to, you know, the core of releasing, you know, a lot of that, you know, anger and, and being able to fully accept and just, you know, this whole mixture of emotions that were still in there. And, as I'm speaking to him, 
I actually had to speak to him in a very maternal way. So I would say, you know, okay, are, are we ready to go ahead and, and move forward in integrating this part? So I actually had to use like, like a voice like I'm talking to an actual child. Mm-hmm. And when the client speaks back to me, he's actually speaking like a nine-year-old little boy. Whoa. The voice and tone and everything changes. Because in that moment, even though we're interacting with the subconscious, the conscious mind has age-cycled back to being nine years old. Oh. It's incredible. That is incredible. That, and it, it like makes sense in a lot of ways when you say that, when you're trying so convincing in that like relaxed state or suggestive state that it, it is when he was that like a little kid. That's fucking crazy. And I, and I just keep thinking back to like other things that um, for people to relate it to is, you, you know, when you have like the, the phantom limb or whatever, and you feel pain and there's no arm there, your mind yep. is so suggestible in the point to where what they put a box there and then you do like push-ups or something, and then the pain goes away. Like your mind is is so um, what is it suggestible? That's that's incredible. Oh, definitely, and and that's why you know things in you know advertising are so effective mm-hmm. because it's it's literally playing to the subconscious's tune. And, you know, you, you see like a, a commercial, you know, with, with food and, and, you know, you have all, all the sounds and all the colors and, you know, like, like I said, you know, what does subconscious mind understand? Vibration, frequency and color. So you hear these little jingles and you see all these pretty colors and, you know, this new burger and, and, you know, the, the voice and, and, you know, the expressions are, are very, you know, expressive, like, you know, oh man, this is so good. And then whether you, actually are like, oh, you know, I would totally want one of those right now. The subconscious mind's just like, uh-huh. Yeah, that does sound good. <laughs> so <laughs> it goes back to like you were saying, you know, that, that suggestibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. Like that is, that's proliferated our, our culture. I, I didn't even think about that in terms of advertising. And I'm even thinking about casinos now. Where they probably it's devious. It's really devious. Yeah, it is. It, I would say it's devi- devious. And um, I'd speculate as to whether or not it's a natural progression, because that is the best way to be successful, if that makes sense, a path the least resistance. Oh, exactly. And, and, and that's like an, another thing that, you know, as a hypn- hypnotherapist, that I have to capitalize on when I'm in a session with somebody. So, you know, the, the whole reason why when, you know, somebody is, you know, age cycling and, and you know, they're that nine-year-old version of themselves. and you know, they're, they're healing and integrating that memory. I'm going to reaffirm and make that even more real by changing the tone of my voice with them. Like I'm actually talking to a child. So it's, it's just, you play it up even more. Um, there is like a certain level of, of acting that it kind of takes and you have to really, um, understand how to interact with people when you're doing this kind of work. Um, one of my teachers referred to it as brain surgery. And I thought it was just the most accurate thing because you're literally inside their mind with them and you're just 
moving things around and changing things and swapping things out and putting things in. And, and it's very surgical in many ways. You, you people like that. That's interesting. Cause you, you almost navigate someone's personality in a way where you, um, you get to know them on a, on a deeper level. And, uh, it's almost like a, a psychological surgery. <laughs> Oh, and and this is uh, you'll you'll find this to be very incredible as well. So, some of the physical things that I have seen happen during a session, and this is one of the more common things I see. So, when the neurology is uh, reintegrating and it's making these changes, you know, even on on like on a cellular level, um, you will see people after a session twitch almost like they're having a seizure and the body will twitch, the legs will twitch. And, and it's so fascinating because they, they can't control it. And, you know, I always give like a forewarning before a session. I'm just like, you know, these are some of the possible side effects. Don't be worried. You know, this will subside after a few minutes, worst case scenario, you know, a couple hours and, and it'll, it'll lessen, you know, over the time. Mm-hmm. But it's so fascinating when you do a very, very deep, you know, healing on somebody and the neurology is being integrated on the inside, but you will externally see a direct manifestation of some of the work done. I mean, people like literally just like their legs twitching and like flopping, like, like, like a fish out of water. And it's just astounding, like to actually see something like that. Cause it just, it even reaffirms to you on a deeper level, like, okay, we did some real work here. You know, there is a undeniable physical reaction that these people can't even control that is affirming stuff is going on in the subconscious right now that's changing. Mm-hmm. Ooh, especially to see, actually see a representation of that. And, yes. Like, and and I, I've seen people vomit as well. Whoa. Um, after a session, um, you know, when they, when they're releasing like, you know, all these negative emotions and, and, and just all these, like, you know, like, let's say for example, somebody that was anorexic and, you know, they have all these like, uh, self-loathing and, uh, self-hate, you know, programs, which is essentially what, you know, that breaks down to being in the subconscious. Mm-hmm. And after this one session I had with this lady, she ended up puking. And then after she puked, she looks up at me and she says, I feel so much better. I feel like when I just puked that I released all of that energy, all of those thoughts, all of those toxins associated with why I was doing that to myself. Whoa, that's crazy. It, it's, it's incredible, man. Some of the things that I have seen in... in sessions and I've even seen things that kind of um border along the lines of what we would consider to be, you know, paranormal, um, unexplainable by by natural, you know, means of explanation. Uh, and you know, I've seen somebody where, you know, the power was on on all all the block, you know, all the houses um, you know, around and there wasn't any crazy weather and it was a very sunny day and we had this this huge, just incredible emotional release. Um, right after that happened, as soon as the release 
uh, you know, the client says, you know, I let go of all of this, and he screams it, and all the power in the house shut off immediately. Wow. And then when the session ended, and, you know, we've kind of built it back up, and, and we ended the session, as soon as I bring him out of trance, the lights came back on. I can't honestly explain that. It's definitely weird. Yeah, that is very weird. But completely flickered. That's crazy. You know, I just chalk that up as something paranormal because I can't really give you a pure scientific explanation for what happened there and the timing of the release and the bringing back with the power going out and the power coming on, taking into account, you know, good weather, nobody else losing power. To me, I just can't explain that with just straight science. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't coincidence, in my opinion, based on the way it happened. Yeah, that that would I would complete my mind would be fucking blown, man. Oh, I was, um, you know, and I, you know, I, I even I even went and I knocked on some of the neighbors' doors and I just said, hey, you know, I didn't preload them, and I just said, hey, you know, did you did you guys lose any power just now or a few minutes ago? Um, you know, have you have you noticed you know any fluctuation you know in, in your power and all gave me the same answer. No, nothing, nothing's happened here. And so it was just incredible. It was just isolated to that one home. <laughs> Whoa. That's just, so, that's serendipitous. That's, I'd be freaked out, man. <laughs> right. And, um, another thing, you know, two other, you know, situations. One of them is, um, a friend of mine. Uh, he's a very good friend of mine and he had gotten a, a session with my teacher and this is when I was learning medical hypnosis. So it was very interesting to kind of like observe and learn from, but also having that personal closeness with the person that was getting the session done just made it even more real. So this buddy of mine had been diagnosed with brain cancer and it had gotten to the point where he was terminal and none of the medication or treatment that he was getting from the hospital was going to help. And they basically were, you know, letting him know like, Hey, you need to kind of start getting things in order, you know, say your, say your goodbyes. And when it gets to be too much, you know, to physically handle, you come in here and, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll keep you nice and medicated to make the passing as easy as possible for you. So, you know, this guy is in, in his mid twenties, you know, he's a young guy. I mean, this is just, insane news to be hit with in the first place. And then three months later, finding out that now you're already progressed to a terminal point and that you're going to die. I mean, that is just something that is so hard to swallow for anybody. That's like a bullet. And, oh yeah. And so, so at this point he says, I don't care if we have to do magic or call a witch doctor. He's like, I'm willing to try anything at this point. I mean, you got nothing to lose at that point, so why not? So I said, well, my teacher mentioned something about hypnosis being used with cancer. So let's just see what happens here. I don't want to make any promises, and I'm sure he won't either. And so he had two sessions back-to-back with my teacher. And a day after the, the last session, he calls me and he calls my teacher as well. And he says the same thing. You know, he says, I don't know what's going on here. And, you know, he says like, I, I think it might be going, getting worse. Like I'm going to go back to the hospital. He's like, I've been urinating blood all day. 
And so it was just like, whoa, you know, like that's, that's not cool. Like that's definitely not something normal. And we didn't know if it was associated with the cancer or not. So it was one of those things where like, dude, go get checked out. So he goes in and of course, you know, they do the, the brain scans and everything and running all these tests just to kind of, you know, get an update of what's happening. And the doctors were astounded. They said there was no trace of the tumor and that it was completely gone and they could not explain it. They were blown away, you know, even, even from like a medical, you know, perspective, they were just like, this is not possible. This is the definition of what we say a miracle is. And they were asking him what he did. And and he talked about, you know, the hypnosis and, you know, the doctors were just, just blown away by this. And so I asked my teacher, I'm just like, you know, like, like what, what happened? And so he said, well, you know, now that we can confirm, you know, that like the tumor's gone, it's not even in his brain. It's not in his body at all. You know, he's like my best guess, which, which makes sense to me. He's like, when he was, you know, urinating that blood, he, he was urinating out the broken down tumor oh. out of his body. Whoa. What? So that was just, wow. That's, you know, and yeah. it, there's just, it, it's amazing. It is literally amazing the things that hypnosis is possible of, of doing and, um, you know, the effects that it can give. And, you know, another situation that uh, I had that was just really, really weird was, you know, we use a lot of metaphors. And um, one of the things that I'll do sometimes if, if someone needs to be uh, built up, you know, to confront something, mm-hmm. is you kind of give them a metaphor to keep them safe. That they will take by suggestion and implement it into the subconscious. And a, and a brief example is like, you know, somebody that, um, you know, nearly drowned and, and, you know, the, the trauma of that. And they're just too afraid to confront that memory. So you would tell them to envision themselves wearing a scuba suit and we're going on a rescue mission and you've got an unlimited air supply and you have a spare breather mask with you and we're going to go underwater safe as can be in the scuba suit and we're going to go give that version of you this breather mask so that they don't have to experience that drowning again and so that we can rescue them. So you, you kind of see how clever that is. Mm-hmm. And this uh, situation that I'm speaking about, it was very interesting, was this little girl, she had some confidence issues, and um, one of the things that she really loved were wolves. And we were like, okay, well, how about you get to be the lead, you know, the, the alpha of a wolf pack? And you're going to take your wolf pack with you and they're going to back you up as we go. And, and she was bullied. And so, you know, as we go and we confront these bullies, knowing they, they can't hurt you. And, and if they even try to come at you, you've got these snarling wolves that have your back. So that's, that's a very uplifting, you know, safe and secure feeling, you know, feeling protected. It's powerful. Mm-hmm. And what was very interesting was she had three dogs. I believe it was three or four. Um, say three that were in the backyard and we get to the point in the session where she's confronting the boys and she's telling them to go away and that, you know, her wolf pack will take them out and that they can't hurt her anymore. All the dogs in the backyard started howling. 
No. I mean, it's just, you know, sometimes things happen that you're just like, I don't know how to explain that. Yeah. Like, is that coincidence or is that like... Right, right. But it's like, yeah. in a session, you know, really? Like, didn't hear him bark at all, you know? Mm-hmm. And then and then all of a sudden at that one part, right? That one part in the session. And they're not barking. They're howling. Wow. They're howling? Howling, like, you know, yeah. you're like, oh, insane. That is insane. But, um, wow. And it's interesting to me because you were describing medication earlier within, uh, for, like, medical hypnosis, um, or people being prescribed medication often. And <clears throat> do you use med- or uh, hypnosis in lieu of medication for, like, uh, people with PTSD or even depression? Um, yeah, yes and no. It, it, it varies by situation. So I've had people that were on antidepressants that had chronic depression, and I did some session work with them, and the changes that we made were so huge that they ended up going to their psychiatrist and saying they didn't need their medication anymore, and then were taken off the medication, and they never needed it again. Wow. So there's there's been situations like that. But I also had a situation where I had a client, and this was a little more personal for me because she was also a dear friend of mine. Mm -hmm. And she was bipolar and had went off her medication, and she was also an alcoholic. And she went on this massive two-week bender where she was just getting drunk, you know, and and she she had two little kids at home, and she had a husband. And so the husband's just like, you know, I, I'm aware of like the things you do and the way that you help people. Like, can you please, please do something to help my wife? And so I'm like, okay, you know, like I'll invite her out. We'll go out to eat and then, um, just kind of have a little chit chat and, and engage where she's at mentally. I didn't know how bad it was. Uh-oh. I was not prepared for that. Full blown psychosis. Oh no. When I was talking to her, she was saying things that didn't make any sense. Um, talking about how she had, uh, you know, we're sitting at a table, we're eating and she's looking at the ceiling and she's saying, I can dive right in. I can dive right in. Do you see the ocean floor? You know, things that just made absolutely no sense, um, whatsoever. And she was just all over the place. Um, at one point she tried to kiss me. Um, and then at another point, um, she grabbed my shirt and she basically said like, you know, I'm going to choke the life out of you, but in a very, um, you know, curseful and, uh, you know, I'm not going to say the exact words, but you get the yeah, point. Yeah, exactly. Whoa. Yeah. And so I'm just like, I'm, I'm just flabbergasted because I'm just like, how do I, how do I even ho- help her? She's not in the state of mind where she can consent to, you know, me doing the hypnosis. Um, how do I get the rapport with her to go into the session? So what I actually had to do was I had to take her to the hospital and I had to check her in and I was going to kind of wait and see how things were going to go before I did that because that's such a drastic step. But before I ended up leaving, she made the comment as she was um, giving me a hug and saying goodbye, she said, I'm going to kill them all tonight, talking about her family. Mm-hmm. So right there, you know, as, as, as a therapist of any kind, 
there is a level of confidentiality, mm-hmm. but there are certain things that you have to report. And if somebody is threatening, you know, um, you know, there's homicidal rage or violence and intent or self-harm, you have to take the next step. Mm-hmm. And so I called her husband and I explained what was going on and I told him what she had said. And he, and I explained that I was going to take her to the hospital and have her checked in, you know, involuntary, you know, committing her. And he said, do it, do whatever you need to, you know, like, I just want my wife back. And, you know, it was like, I, I was in tears at that point. Cause I'm just like, you know, like I want to help, but I can't help. And this is all I can do is cart her off to get doped up and put on medicine. And I don't even think that's really going to do much. It's so at that point. yeah, right. So we get her to the hospital and, I believe they gave her a haloperidol shot, if I'm not mistaken, you know, like a a very strong sedative. And um, she started to kind of come back to a little bit. Um, And the next day, you know, they got her back onto her bipolar medication. And I ended up being able to talk to her. Um, And she was making sense. And, you know, there was the person that I had known was back again. So I did um, session work on her, and then I noticed afterwards that she was doing a lot better mentally, um, more so than she was originally with the medication. She no longer wanted to drink anymore, and she wanted to spend more time with, more time with her kids and her husband, and she just completely made a 180, and I told her, I said, you know, based on, you know, like my medical opinion and, and what I've seen and, and, you know, like you, you know, you're, you're my client, you're not just my friend, you know, you're my client as well. And I believe that you should stay on the bipolar medication, but with what we've done so far with hypnosis, we both can agree that there has been a huge change in your psyche. So with that one, maybe you know, I, I don't know either way. Maybe down the road, she ends up not needing that medication anymore. Maybe she always will need it. I can't honestly speak either way on that. But I do know that the hypnosis had a huge impact. Mm-hmm. It, it stopped the alcoholism. Um, it's you know cleared up a lot of trauma and, and you know baggage emotionally and reconnected her with her family. And, um, you know, even when she was just on her bipolar medication before that wasn't happening. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's, that's, that's crazy. Cause you've seen someone go through a, what is it? A psychotic episode. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. I would feel as completely paralyzed, very similar situations. And I, um, I get confused cause sometimes, you know, People only could be either sedated or chronically medicated um, without being sedated, you know, other stuff. And uh, I've just been so fascinated in trying to understand that because I, just like yourself, have come from a traumatic childhood. But a lot of people in my childhood, um, not necessarily psychosis, but had, uh, what is it, issues of character, whether that's like substance abuse or um, uh-huh. abuse. And it's the people who, who do that for a lifetime, though, or who, um, or even with bipolar, not saying that they're exactly the same thing, but basically being entombed 
by either a, uh, a mental instability or by, um, what is it, uh, destructive character or behavior. Right. Like there's, and there, yeah. there's, there's three things, um, diagnosis disorder-wise, that I have seen and experienced the power of hypnosis with that I can say <clears throat> can definitely cure it. And that's, that's a very strong word, and I don't like to use the word cure, mm-hmm. but I've seen it happen enough that I know it is very, very possible. One being PTSD. I had friends that were in the service that went overseas and deployed. And we all know we've at least met somebody or are related to someone that has had that experience. And, you know, we can all say they don't come back the same person. And I have seen with hypnosis, being able to work with some of these people, and I give veterans a discount. Um, I normally charge 125 a session. I charge veterans 75 because, yeah, I've got a lot of respect, a lot of love. Yeah, exactly. And um, I ended up helping several people with PTSD, and not just, you know, war veterans, but, you know, people that might have had, you know, traumatic sexual abuse or, you know, varying other things that can create PTSD. And I've seen it actually completely go away. Um, It is very possible with hypnosis. Another thing that I have seen um, treated is uh, substance abuse, alcoholism and drug abuse. And people that were in and out of 12-step meetings and in and out of rehabs and just not even able to keep 30 consecutive days together, just habitual relapsers. And I have seen doing session work with some of those people now six months for one person, nine months for another, and then like five and a half, almost six months for another one that they have consecutively been clean and sober. So I know that's also incredibly very, very real um, as far as being able to change those habits permanently. And then another thing that I've seen on top of the um, substance abuse and the PTSD is so think about um, autoimmune disorders. So my fiance, she has lupus and she would have very, very extreme symptoms where she would end up experiencing full body paralysis that would last for a couple minutes, which is just incredibly frightening. And, um, you know, super fatigue, feeling like when she wakes up and just has a shower and has breakfast, like she felt like she ran a marathon and just, you know, like there's just so many things that I had to witness. It's just heartbreaking, especially for someone that you love, you know, like your partner, you know, like we have a child together and it's just her not being able to really take care of our son because of just how, how does it, this disorder has got her. And she is now symptom free for, I want to say about, a month now. And that was after we did four sessions. So before that, you know, she had symptoms every single day, some worse than, than others, but every single day she had symptoms. We're still counting, you know, each day, but we're already at a month without any symptoms. Whoa. So I know that autoimmune disorders can be affected 
And another incredible thing, um, I would do some personal research on um, Brent Baum, and uh, it's B-R-E-N-T-B-A-U-M. He's done a lot of um, hypnosis work on people with HIV and AIDS and been able to take people with, you know, advanced, you know, from HIV to AIDS and have it all the way put suppressed to where it's undetectable. What? Through hypnosis. That's crazy. So he's somebody I would definitely study some of his work. There are so many amazing hypnotherapists out there. Um, David Snyder is a world-class hypnotherapist that I have a deep found respect and love for. Um, Dr. Tom Silver as well. And one of my favorites, who is an old school hypnotherapist that did a lot of pioneering, you know, in the field of hypnotherapy in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, uh, who recently passed last year uh, around, I want to say, August, was Jerry Kind. Jerry Kind? Jerry Kind. And, I mean, the, the, the man was just a legend, and he was rocking it till, I want to say... <laughs> He was about like 82 when he passed and he was still rocking it doing, um, you know, like up to like 15 sessions a day, you know, like sometimes like, you know, like 15 hours of hypnosis work in a day. Like the man was just a legend. Prolific, Um, man. Yes. Yes. And, uh, I have so much respect for the late Jerry kind because he gave so much to the field of hypnotherapy. If anybody listening is interested in checking out any of their work, I will include links uh, to each or everyone in the show notes and stuff like that, too. And I'm going to do a little bit of research on that myself. Yeah, there's um, there's just so much that people necessarily know about hypnosis, not because they're not aware of it, but because of how saturated Hollywood and you know Vegas entertainers have given us the image of what a hypnotherapist is, mm-hmm. or they, they only think that it can be used for smoking cessation and weight loss. But I'm telling you, um, when I was talking to David Snyder one time, he was explaining to me, cause I asked him, I said, it seems like hypnosis can be used for pretty much anything. And I asked him, what, what, what are some of the limitations with it? And he said, depending on your skill level and using hypnosis, and your own imagination, there are no limits. They've even discovered that, um, and I believe it's either Tom Silver or Brent Baum, talks about um, using hypnosis for breast augmentation. So not, not having to get, you know, surgery, you know, for a female or, you know, transgender or whatever. You know, anyone that, that is getting, you know, breast surgery to enlarge, you can actually do it through hypnosis. And I found that comical and funny, and also I was just amazed by that. Wait, what? <laughs> right, right. Hypnosis for breast augmentation. Like, <laughs> get out of here. Like, <laughs> <laughs> That's fucking crazy. <laughs> I'm going to look into that one. <laughs> oh, yeah, please do. You'll have a good laugh on that. <laughs> Wait, so can I make my my dick bigger? I mean, I'm sorry, I had to ask. <laughs> I'd look into it if you wanted. <laughs> I got actually I got disappointed because when I was a kid, I was enraptured in my like ego at that time, and especially my penis. Right? 
So I was watching like some HBO documentary or some bullshit, and a guy had like the biggest dick, but he had the biggest dick in the world. He lived in New York, and when women found out about it, all they did was want to fuck him once, so he could never have like a serious relationship. Right, and, right. And then they found out it just hurt, and I'm like, I got so let down. It's like, <laughs> Well, it's not only that, but it's funny, like to add on to that. So I have this buddy who lives in Vancouver and, uh, he goes by pony and Ooh. he was, um, his nickname's pony. And, um, you know, he, he does martial arts and stuff and he, he's a good friend of mine. And, um, he was telling me about this one time that he went to Jamaica with a friend of his and, you know, if I'm being honest, you know, Pony's Pony's a big black boy, you know what I'm saying? You know, mm-hmm. he's, he's he's not hurting down below. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and his buddy was, you know, three, four times the size of him. And where he would wear normal shorts that go to your knees. And the head would be popping out at the bottom. And he'd just, like, walk around, you know, and just, like, you know, just, like, real, like, just, hey, you know. And, and like, you know, girls would do double takes and, like, you know, it's just, <laughs> and so, so he, uh, he was teasing him one time and, um, you know, his friend was, was talking to Pony, you know, while they were in Jamaica and he was saying like, you know, like, oh, you know, like, I bet, I bet, I bet you, 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 you were hung like this, you know, and, uh, and Pony was like, no, you know, I'm, I'm good. I'm good with what I have. And then, and then, uh, his friend was like, well, if I'm being really honest, he's like, I kind of wish I had what you had. And then. Pony's like, well, well, you know why? Like, you know, like you, you've got like God's gift right there. Like, you know, like what's wrong with that? And he's like, dude, he's like, I can only go, you know, semi, you know, or or half, you know, hard for just a couple minutes because if I go full hard, he's like, thirty seconds later, it's like all the blood rushes, you know, from my body, you know, into my member, and he's like, I, I like, I almost pass out. Oh <laughs> so like, I just, I never thought about that. So, so he's like, I really can't even enjoy, you know, when 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 I get a girl in the bedroom, he's like, I I, just, I can't enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> I never thought about that either. Right, right. It's just insane, you know, like <laughs> it's like some physical feat just to be able to get a girl. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, have Have you ever? Uh, what's your take on uh, hallucinogenics? Oh man. So when I was younger, mm-hmm. I used to be really into LSD. Um, I enjoyed it quite a bit. And then I got a little bit older and, you know, kind of started playing around with, you know, magic mushrooms. And, um, I ended up having a spiritual awakening, you could say outside of, you know, experimenting with psychedelics and, it was very, very powerful for me, you know, with like meditation and things like that. And, um, you know, I do a lot of yoga and, uh, I'm, you know, trained in Theravada Buddhism and a lot of other different things, such as like the Samla, Sanggong, Tinyat lineage of Taoism. And, you know, so I've, I've been very, very into a lot of deeply spiritual things, um, uh, in the past few years of my life and, had some incredible experiences that no one would believe me, even if I tried to explain it to him, but that's neither here or there. Mm-hmm. So I want to say about a year and a half ago, I decided like with this, you know, crazy spiritual awakening that I've had, I was like, well, I wonder what mushrooms would be like now. So I got two ounces and one of the mistakes that I made 
was eating about an five grams out of the bag. Oh no! <laughs> and when I was tripping, I did not realize that at some point I had accidentally eaten all two ounces. Oh, no. I cannot begin to explain to you the level of pure insanity. <laughs> and, I mean, so I'll give you an example of something I saw that I was just like, dude, no, no, thank you. No, thank you. So I'm, like, sitting in the bedroom, and, like, everything's, like, super crazy. Um, I mean, obviously, two ounces, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, so yeah. I see this, like, like golden and purple light like beam down onto the wall and I'm like staring at it and then it splits open and this giant purple tiger man pops out like he's like a humanoid shape but he's a tiger and he's got this like well he's a lion and he had this big you know lion mane and he was like wearing like you know like like a like a magician kind of cloak uh -huh. and he looks at me and he goes Shh, and puts his finger to his mouth and I'm just like, what the fuck? And then, then another line opens up and he just like dives into it and disappears. And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> I'd be holding on for dear life. <laughs> right, right. I totally saw like a, you know, a, like a, a magician lion man, you know, just like surfing between dimensions. Like, oh, yeah, totally normal, right? You know, dear life. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so the, the thing that was really bad about that mushroom trip was, um, I had no concept of time, and I didn't know that the guy who gave me these mushrooms, I got some from him before, but this time, for whatever reason, he failed to mention that he had laced the mushrooms with PCP. Oh, shit. I wouldn't have been okay with that even if I did know, mm -hmm. but the whole not knowing just made it even worse. Oh, yeah. So, long story short... I'd been tripping for three and a half, four days, oh, completely God. awake and just like straight tripping. And, and, you know, even, even without the mushrooms being up for three or four days, you're going to be hallucinating. Yeah. You get delirious quick. Right. Right. And like, so with the PCP, like I didn't feel tired at all. And I ended up in the hospital because my kidneys started to shut down. And apparently I had consumed uh, pretty much a lethal dose of PCP. Whoa. And the most insane part about it was it was a blessing and a curse because when I was admitted to the hospital, it wasn't, you know, me being like, oh, something's wrong. I need to go to the hospital. I was tripping balls. I didn't know anything. Yeah. Apparently, I called 911 37 times in a row. Oh, my God. So they pretty much just like showed up and they were like, okay, buddy, come with us now. <laughs> and and they, and they take me away and then i'm like in the hospital and Were you uh, freaking out when they took you away oh yeah man like when i got into the hospital i'm like you know in the stretcher and like i swear like like you know all the doctors and the nurses and everything like in all their you know their like lab coats and like you know their scrubs like mm -hmm. they look like lizard people to me and it was oh, like no. so trippy because i thought it was like this like crazy experiment and like it was crazy because like you know two ounces of mushrooms, like, nothing is going to make sense. No, not at all. <laughs> and so, um, after I, like, kind of, like, came down from it and 
was, um, you know, obviously at that point, like they kind of had to hold me for a 72 hour mental evaluation. And, um, I was in, you know, the psychiatric ward of the hospital and I woke up. So like all these memories came to me later. So I woke up and I had full blown episodic amnesia. I did not know anything that had ever happened in my life. I didn't know my name. I didn't know family members. I didn't know, you know, like anything when I was born, nothing. I was just, you know, staring behind eyes. I didn't know who I was. And it was the most terrifying experience that I've ever had in my life. And over the course of about a day and a half, apparently I'd been like that for a couple of days. So they kept me a little longer. So like once I became aware that, you know, that was happening, then about a day and a half later, like it started with a thought and it was Tanner. And then I was like, I'm Tanner. And then it was like, I'm Tanner. And then it was like, I remember my name. And then like little things came back and then it was just like, boom, like floodgates. And I just like, remember my birth date all family members, like, you know, times I've had in my life, childhood, et cetera. Like everything came flooding back. And then the thing that hit me last was like the whole mushroom trip and everything that happened. And it was just like, what the fuck? I'm never doing that again. So for me personally, I don't have anything against psychedelics, but my last experience kind of put me off for life. Yeah, I, I can understand that. That would be <laughs> fucking frightening. I don't like that. That's literally the foundation yeah. of my fears is just. You know, don't eat two ounces of mushrooms laced with PCP, and yeah. I think you'll be all right. Exactly. <laughs> it's, not, it's not even that. Like, when I was a kid, I'd watch, you know, like, uh, people get institutionalized in, like, scary movies. Maybe it was a clockwork orange. Yeah. Or inflating that. And you get, like, uh, you know, and they get imprisoned in there, and just the idea of losing your mind has always been something that fucking freaked me out, man. But that's why I like psychedelics for some weird reason. <laughs> I mean, they can definitely teach you some things and you can have some incredible realizations and experiences. Um, mm -hmm. I definitely consider mushrooms and LSD to be a teacher of sorts. Okay. And it's, it's very much so up to the user how they choose to learn the lesson. It can be very hard. I still consider the experience that I had to have been a very, very strong lesson, a very harsh lesson, but nonetheless, I took away a lot from it. And one of the biggest lessons I took away, which is kind of like a no-brainer, is self-control. Mm, yeah. I, can I see that now. And were you paying attention and noticing? Yeah, I mean, I was just eating the mushrooms out of the bag, just like not a thought in the world, man. Like, <laughs> <laughs> And, um... That's a yeah. Psychedelics can be a teacher, but it is certainly a merciless teacher. Just oh yes, the wilderness is a merciless figure. I mean, like if you die, for instance, in the wilderness, no one, no one's there. There's no one there to catch you. It was no one's fault. It's just nature. And like, and I don't mean to sound like cold-hearted in that sense. I just mean like, yeah, those things um, fascinate fascinate me to no end. And experience like with psychedelics anyways even in my bad trips i agree I, I learned a lot from that and usually it was because there was some sort of um i don't maybe i'm overblowing it but or 
um, being dramatic, but uh, trauma. Like it, like I had such a bad experience that I would do anything to avoid that because it, it's it haunted me for at least a moment or so. Oh, definitely. And you know, there's a there's a term that that I vibe very strongly with, and that's if you've ever heard in uh, Hindu terminology, yuga. So, what a yuga is is it's 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 a cycle, and Kali Yuga, you've heard of Goddess Kali, you know, um, she's often referred to as the goddess of death, but that's actually very um, wrong. Um, she's the goddess of time, but all things that adhere to time, so that's how a lot of people draw that connection of, you know, goddess of death. Mm-hmm. So anyways, um, that's where Kali comes into the term of Yuga. So a Kali Yuga is the end of a cycle. And for anything to ever begin or start there has to be a close or an end of something else. So for a life to be born, right, you, the, the sperm and the, and the egg, their life ends as a sperm and an egg, and it becomes an embryo. For the embryo to become the infant, the embryo has to end to become infant. So everything is very cyclical in nature, and, you know, our whole life is a cycle. You know, we come in and then we leave. You know, we were born and we die. And then every experience we have, you know, there's a start of that experience and the end of the experience. So I'm not too sure exactly where I was going with that, but just kind of mm-hmm. what you were saying mm-hmm. kind of reminded me of, you know, the yugas and, and the cyclical nature of life. And it is. It's all very fractal in that way. Yeah, we, definitely. When we started this conversation, we were talking about um, with martial arts and, and, um, oh, with music and how, like, you you don't know what there is to know necessarily. And as you keep going, you you find out more. And, like, um, this term of uh, mastery, I mean, there's, like, mastery of a level of a thing. But in a lot of ways, it's, it's never ending. It's a cycle of knowing and not knowing. And then, oh yeah, and that cycle is almost within. It's a pattern that exists within almost everything, whether it's the individual, it's martial arts, it's communication, it's this knowing and not knowing, this life and death of a thought, of an idea, of a notion. And oh, and, and it's funny you mention that because there was something that um, one of my uh, you know abbots um, from one of the temples that I studied at uh, with Theravada Buddhism. Explained something to me, and it, and it just made so much sense because I was asking him, you know, like how he learned all these things, and, and you know, just this deep spiritual knowledge, and and you know, these magic rituals, and, and all this stuff. And he pauses, and and he looks at me, and and he just says, you know, in the softest voice, you know, if I know something, then I've learned nothing, and then that means that I've actually learned something, and. <laughs> It's just the, it's very short, but the level of depth in that saying just explains so much to me. <laughs> it, it does, actually. I, it, oh, God, that's one to chew on, too. Right. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> I like that. I brought up the uh, psychedelics because I was uh, just curious in your thoughts on, like, altered states of consciousness and... Um, I don't know, with psychedelics, for instance, just uh, similar to martial arts, just ex- giving me insight into the nuances of um, my own behavior and my own mind, and whether that's my subconscious or my conscious mind, I suppose. 
Yeah. Well, and I, I think, you know, and this is just my two cents. I'm not saying that I have anything other than just it being my opinion. There's nothing to back it up. Mm-hmm. But with psychedelics, I believe it's a separation of all of those different states. And it's just one state with no dividers, subconscious, unconscious, super conscious, conscious. It's essentially one mind at that point. Mm. And that's just how I've always felt when I've had my experiences with psychedelics. Yeah. Yeah. That actually, that sounds familiar anyways. Like when I'm thinking back to my experience, <laughs> right. like, like I'm like, Oh yeah, I, I kind of can, I can relate to that. And it's interesting because, you know, with the psychedelic experiences, I've uh, I've experienced that in many natural forms, whether that's, you know, I haven't necessarily played with Kundalini, but I'd like to. Um, but I've experienced it with uh, meditation and doing a lot of uh, focused breathing, <clears throat> and even in yoga, too, in some weird ass way. It's very rare, but it does happen and for a very short period of time. But just... So you want to know something incredible about Kundalini? What? So if you ask anybody, you know, what is Kundalini? You'll get a bunch of different answers, but most of them, they really don't truly understand what Kundalini is. And I had a yogi explain this to me, and it, and it just it made so much sense, and, and I thought it was the most incredible thing. So what the Kundalini is is the potential energy in all existence of the singular consciousness that you identify as from the very start of the Big Bang. So that that energy which created the Big Bang, that spark that was you, all of that potential is the Kundalini. And you can access that energy. That's cool. It's like a spirit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I geek out about this shit because, like you, um, as you spoke of before, like when you got into hypnotism, um, I, what is it? I have a lot of skepticism. And the thing, though, that I like to think of um, while I explore things, anyways, especially in these terms, um, is wait, what was I going to say? Oh, is how like um, my my mind is. I don't really understand my mind as much as I think that I do. And it's right, like, I have false memories, which have been confirmed to be false. Um, I've also had, like I said before, euphoric sensations during yoga that I I can't explain, but I know what they were when I experienced them. I've even felt high when I wasn't high. Oh, oh, definitely. That's what we call expanded states of awareness and consciousness known as different levels of samadhi. Oh, whoa. Interesting. What's the different levels of samadhi? Yep. There's different levels of samadhi, and um, they all feel very different. And um, I I hate hate to cut you short, but I got to go for now. Oh, yeah. But I would love to do a part two. Yes. Actually, on uh, part two, I would love to listen to your 
uh, exploration of spirituality and all of those kinds of things, man. I think that'd be a great place to to pick up on. Absolutely. And do you, um, for the audience, uh, do you have any uh, things that you'd like to share with them, whether it's a website, place they can um, come by? Um, so uh, with with my with my new website, it's still kind of you know being like worked on. I'm like transferring from one website to another. Um, the new website is should be up now, but I've got to make some tweaks to it. It's called hypnosisisfreedom.com, and that's for all my hypnotherapy services. Um, anyone that would like to contact me on Facebook, as far as um, I do energy healings as well, anything spiritual related or just to kind of say hi, talk to me, it's Skinner, S-K-I-N-N-E-R, Julian, J-U-L-I-A-N, Tanner, T-A-N-N-E-R, and you can find me on Facebook there. And then uh, my album, I'm working on my second one now, but if you go on to Spotify, iTunes, Deezer, or even just Google search, it's kind of all over the web. Um, the, the album is called Wisdom, and then there's a comma, The Main Idea, and my artist name is just my name, Tanner Skinner, and yeah, so if you want to check that out, and then I just wanted to give one last little thing, a shout out to my beautiful fiance, who I already consider my wife, Anissa, and my lovely, beautiful little baby boy, Luca. They both mean everything to me. Aww. Sounds like you got a great family. <laughs> oh, I do, man. I do. I love my family. Potty pot of wine and drama, caught a comma in the state. Surreptitious, mighty vicious, just a blink to my dismay. Where's the kisses to my missus? Why'd it have to be this way? Ready, fire. Retired just to strike for fun and play Not a Buddhist, use the science It will surely light the way With Pomahanta Yoga's proven many cities Crush the task, blessed is the East Forever it will last The clearest conscious thought you grow The forest ground your hands Preservation is the greatest, Vishnu is the man Hindi diet, Ayurvedic Building blocks on breaking lands Meditation in a teacher, technologic It expands, lay your body It's your prana, feed it and you'll understand Domino mix drama on the scale, I know my vibe Green Tower brings a healing Skeptics even see it blind Souls are trying to hide, make feelings create pride But you can overcome illusion of self If you go inside, feel the fire of a flow More higher, aspire and go Maybe life is perfect and you know that you know Is it for real or is it all for show? Maybe the question should be Once you get to paradise, now where you gonna wanna go? Ascensions frequently increase into another realm Can't deny vibrations felt, making all the stations melt Love is all we need a lot, we need way more What about some wisdom, why else would you wanna stay for? Sometimes shit gets deep like the ocean is Get up the rim, show somebody what devotion is Instead of lying face down on them broken ribs Nervous, I died, a pool of liquid lives A face that changed, but a soul the same 
put your coin into play or ride the roller coaster off into space the trail of dust brings life for us no cash to your path but we leave when we can't slap the hand i won't do it again the screw that came loose got severely fine-tuned yo hey crispy what about you what is i if there is no i always flies if there is no sky people claim to tell the truth but always lie many claim to live forever but they always die no one's ever phasing me although they always try i will laugh forever even though i always cry thought i said there was no i oh my why insinuate yep i know you love even though you pretend to hate barriers are broke just as soon as this begin to play anyone who thinks of testing us just begin to pray in the tape Blend the grape juice with the life elixir Seeing everything as beautiful is quite the fixer Like the mason. After all, we find the master list Sometimes shit gets 